0: All right, y'all we ready yeah, 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 yeah. all right hit, hit me with the time amber and let me know what's going on with that okay welcome back y'all street academy podcast where we keep one foot in the academy and one foot in the street seats yeah, yeah. back again y'all we back again we back we back and we back and we back and we back and we back yo I
1: feel like that needs to be part of the official theme song you might need to you know what yeah. it
0: does we got the usher joint we do at the end chance yes, the a joint that we do right so right. oh you know what I noticed too Jackie there's something that you do every episode and I always keep it in the edits no you don't do it every episode but it always comes at just the right time when we like talking about how dope we are and how ain't nobody doing what we're doing and then you'll mm-hmm. say like let's go you know how you do that let's go Go. I I, I love like I I love when you say
1: that. I love when
0: you say, let's go. Anyway, um, yeah. So last last week was a uh, or was it last week, two weeks ago, whenever we shoot it. Uh, mm-hmm. whenever we shot it, um we had a great, great, great. Uh, episode about black mothers mothering Mm. uh, pregnancy stories I hope y'all checked it out if you have not yet it is up on our YouTube page Um, so definitely go to Street Academy podcast on YouTube and go check it out Um, it was powerful it was inspiring and so we had to do a follow-up had to do a Mm. follow-up we had to bring some professionals in to talk more about the topic it was hot Facebook Live was going crazy, it was insane. Mark Zuckerberg, he he called me and he was like, John, it's too much, bro. <laughs> too he, much. He, John, it's too much, You're doing too much. He was like, I, I look, my people down in where, where they at Palo Alto or wherever they at, mm-hmm. like, it's too much, bro. We ain't got the staff big enough to handle the episode. I was like, all right. Bro. <laughs> All right, Mark. I'll do it just for you this one time, my nigga. next time, though, get your, get your stuff together. Because we we taking off. We taking over one city at a time. We at a time. I don't even know
1: what's I don't know that one. I don't know you don't know that one? That one. DJ Kelly? Not familiar. DJ Khaled. You taking over? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay.
2: That's a major Khaled throwback. Yeah, that's that's a Khaled
0: throwback right there. 2010 or something. (laughs) Anyway. 2010. (laughs) You back y'all. A whole minute. (laughs) um, Amber, you want (laughs) to take us in? Take us in to the...
3: Sure. Well, I wanted us to do the transition from like, we were talking last week to now we have these two lovely Ah, sorry, y'all. I'm very excited, and I just keep screaming. When I get excited, (laughs) I scream. I make noises. It's what happened. I'm getting, I'm getting more and more comfortable with the sounds that come out of my body. I know that sounds crazy, but you know what? We need to. We need to. That's a part of the whole reason why we are here. Because we are just trying to just be all that we are. Black woman. We're free. I'm every woman. All of it. But anyway, we're continuing the conversation. Every woman. Hey we got a
1: whole musical no, no. this episode
3: <laughs> okay this a, whole yes, a whole musical <laughs> um so we are the conversation was so mind-blowing last time we thought we were like we have to continue this conversation and we know a few folks who have some perspectives to add and so in a moment you will hear from these two lovely ladies um about <sighs> just about birthing, motherhood, so many connections. It's just gonna be amazing. We're gonna go into our segment called Off the Georgia Dome, which we are going to just say for just a minute, off the Georgia Dome, off of our dome, what are our quick thoughts about the topic? So I'm just gonna start with the one man in the building. Quick thoughts about the topic before we get into the conversation, and then we'll go to Jackie, then I'll go, and then we'll go to our guest. And then we're just gonna dive right into the conversation full throttle.
0: Let's go, John. Hmm. Quick off the Georgia Dome, um, as I was going back through the last episode, um, I just I felt angry like all mm. over again. You mm. know what I'm saying? Just um Du Bois says something in, in in his in his collection of essays, Dark Water, where he talks about the one thing he could not forgive white America for was its harm and the destruction that it did to the black woman.
4: That wow. was what
0: he. He was like, I could overlook slavery, I could overlook Jim Crow, I could over, I could overlook a lot of things, but what I mm. cannot overlook is the destruction that you have brought on the black woman, mm. and um, and I, I just, I, I feel, I feel those same sentiments when I listen to those stories. I talk mm. to my mother about the episode. My mom listened to the episode. She told me about things that she went through, told me about things that other people went through, um, in terms of, you know, pregnancies and and it just, it just makes I'm I'm really angry. I'm really even more angered at the at the medical uh industry, at the medical system and, and at this country for what it has and continues to do to our black women and our black mothers. So I'm mad. Mm. That's my Georgia mm. dome.
1: Mm. Oh. feel like that's a fair sentiment. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's interesting that you like listened to the last episode and left with anger. I listened to the last episode and left with like advocacy is like my word Mm -hmm. because part of what I was realizing was that for both of our guests, they had like their partners in the room with them. Like they had their partners with them for the whole time. And I was just like wondering, even if it's not like an intimate partner what about you know a parent a friend like who is in the room with you who can advocate for you like what should that person know how should that person prepare because i remember with both of them they talked about having like these out-of-body experiences where they weren't even lucid in the moment so they couldn't advocate for themselves but somebody was there so what do they need to know to help to advocate for women um in the event that we can't advocate for ourselves
3: And with that, that's a beautiful connection to mine because yes. for me, my last, like my takeout box from last time was actually the the power of community and just having a village around you. And that is what I'm still just so struck by is that like, we're having this follow-up conversation to people who know, and people who know even more, you know, in the sense of like from the research side or from the professional side of things. And it's just like, this is like the widening of the community. And it's just like, you, we, I feel emboldened. I feel like more powerful because, in one way, I felt like, Some of from that conversation, in some ways, I felt kind of helpless, and yet then it's just like, but we know people who can help us now. So it's just like going from like what could feel like powerlessness or what could feel like helplessness. It's just like, yo, we got the knowledge right here. We got the wisdom. They're gonna give us instructions. They're gonna tell us some more things to think about. And it's just like, I'm just, I am encouraged by the power of community. I'm encouraged by the presence of the village, and Mm. that. Well, that's where I'm coming from right now. I feel just like as we just keep connecting with each other, we will have all the resources that we need, we'll have the wisdom that we need. So it doesn't have to keep duplicating itself. Like the cycle, we can stop the cycle. And I think that's so important as Black people. Like we don't have to keep living within the cycle. Um, mm-hmm. and so information and conversations can help us break cycles. And that's what I'm that's what I'm encouraged by. So yes, that's what I'm sure yes. I'll you <laughs> Let's go to you, Shamika, and then we'll go to Ayana. Yes.
2: Um, hmm. I feel my grandmother. Um, she uh, she comes to me often whenever I'm uh, doing birthing work, uh, studying birth. Uh, the grandmothers speak to me, so I like to speak my grandmother's name. Pastor um, Annie Stanley Thomas. We know that is her... Uh, slave name. Um, so I invite her into this room, also invite Mary Turner, who's the first woman who was lynched while eight months pregnant, wow. first first reported woman lynched while eight months pregnant, they cut her womb wide open as she hung from the tree and left the baby or the fetus dangling from the umbilical cord. And everyone watched the strange fruit hang twice, her and the fetus. So I like to um, speak their names. Also like to speak the name of Amber Isaac Rowe. She's the first Afro-Latina reported woman to, um, to die in the hospital um, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic due to being left alone in the operating room. She wasn't allowed to invite her mother or her child's father. And she died alone, cold, lonely on the hospital table. So what I feel mostly is war, Mm -hmm. I feel war, W-A-R, war, is wartime. And I think as we pull up to web links, as we pull up to universities, to the streets, to the hospitals, to home birth sites, we have to take back the throne. And we do this um, one step at a time because peace of mind comes piece by piece. But we also know there is no peace without war. Mm. And so um, Mm. this is a charge to the womb uh, to come forth and to proclaim the throne. Mm. That's what I feel. Mm.
4: So powerful. Um, To to kind of um, link all of this. There's a lot that's swirling in my head, so cut me if you have to. You all know that I can talk for a long period of time. Um, but um, it's funny you say war. I'm always like, flip a table, like, if you have to. Like, that's, sometimes that's what we need to do. Um, the, the first thought that came into my head as Dr. Shamika is speaking is um, we continue to go to these places that weren't designed for us. Mm-hmm. And in addition, the black, the black woman has literally paved the way for these spaces to be in existence now. We are the reason there's Black medicine, or, or medicine in general. We are the reason that there is the modernization of medicine here in this state. And we have not been thanked for it, not that we're seeking appreciation. Um, we were not asked to be a part of it. We were told we must do it. Um, our bodies were property to others. And so in the sacrifice of all that, um, make no mistake, the history, the tradition is still running within us. However, it's gotten all confused with um, what white supremacy has done, what uh, and sl- slavery has done. And so we're not at a, now at a place where you're seeing a resurgence. I think Amber, you mentioned that before, of Black midwifery. Black midwifery is not dead. It has never been dead. Uh, We've been here doing our things, even though people have told us no um, and tried to shut us out of the hospital system, but we're here and we're here to fuck shit up. Mm, Basically. (laughs) There it
0: is. (laughs) I love it. Let's do this.
4: Yes, yes, yes.
3: So let's dive right in. Let's go to who are these lovely ladies who are with us today? Can we just start with you introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about your background and then sharing what actually got you into the career that you're in now. I invite uh, Ayanna to start.
4: Sure. Um, I am Ayanna Davison. I am a certified nurse midwife. I practice in Southern California. I do practice within the hospital setting. That will not be forever um, or for very much longer, um, but um, that is where I practice. What drew me here, I mean, I always want to say like, you know, it was my own, my own thought, but truly I think it's the legacy of midwifery. Um, I know John, John and I used to, we, we all, we went to um, undergraduate together and he used to call me Dr. Doctor Davidson, Dr. Ina, and that was because I was pre-med. I was thinking I was going to go to medical school, but definitely my life has turned into a in, in a different direction and i'm so very grateful for it um you know i left thinking i was going one route ended up becoming a registered nurse um it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks and then um wanting to do the same thing that i would have done as a physician um i wanted to really be with people as they were in the most critical or pivotal time in their life which is birth um mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the most energetic spiritual um, <laughs> challenging but amazing times in someone's life, in a family's life, and so uh, midwifery came to me, and it wasn't until uh, my grandmother passed away um, prior to all this, and I found out that she had been a midwife as well in uh, the, the island of Antigua, so I knew her to be a registered nurse growing up. I did not know her to be a midwife. She never talked about that part, mm, wow. so um, what, what is really strong and, and Dr. Shumika, I really relate to you when you're saying like my grandmother, like I say, her name, Eastland Amelda, like you yes. know the things that have gone on her in her life, I feel like have fortified my work now. Um, my mom tells me this, and this is what's been really pivotal. I knew this before, but like, it's even more pivotal for me now. And that's when I was first born, my mom, you know, her mother, my grandmother came to the house and my mom said, your grandmother would not let let me touch you. Aside from like breastfeeding, she like did everything, changed the diapers, did the bath. I was like her sidekick that whole time. And the most powerful words, and I really do believe there was something that she did, but the most powerful words for for me were from my mother was, I wonder what she whispered to you while she was holding you. And I I deeply feel as if she had said something to me, like, this is the work you're going to do. This is what you're called to do. And so um, midwifery runs through my veins. It is a calling. There are pe- people who choose it, but it, it truly is a calling. And I, I'm so part, uh, glad to be a part of it, so grateful for the experience. And I'm looking forward to how this is going to evolve over time. So that's kind of a little bit about my background um, in midwifery.
1: Oh, you, wow. Amazing. I love it. Such a yeah. journey. Mm.
2: Ashe, Ashe. Uh, thank you for speaking your grandmother's name as well. I feel the grandmother's with us. Um, so, um, yes, I'm Dr. Shamika Poetry Thomas Shazat. <laughs> um, I go by Dr. Poetry on the airwaves. So um, feel free to um, you know, join me in this moment in time. Thank you for this opportunity again. Um, how did I get here? How did this moment find me? I think it was... Nine months before August 30th, 2011, 525 p.m., I gave birth to a queen named Zaya River Atkinsett. She will be uh, 10 this year, so we're both turning 10 together. 10 years, a decade of mothering, and we mother each other. Hmm. Um, when she passed through my womb, Not only did she bring Africa with me or to me, but she brought me my research question that -hmm. later became my dissertation question. I remember um, breastfeeding and going to go take my GRE. And we were living in the Bay Area. We lived, well, I was in Berkeley, but then we had relocated to San Jose. And I had to uh, let her uncle take her. Her dad was working at the time. And I had to drive all the way up to uh, Sonoma Valley uh, with my breasts engorged with milk because <laughs> um, I had my GRE to take. Um, and so I was literally on the road in tears and I took that entire GRE thinking of my child. And there were moments on the break, I would take time away from the, the, the testing break to pump. Wow. And um, And when I pumped, I had to meditate in order for the milk to let down, and I also had to have pictures of her in my pocket, my purse, a onesie, so I could smell her scent. And so I'm taking this test, but I'm also mothering simultaneously. And the 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 way the what it does to your psychology, to your body, mind, body, and soul, it, it, it's um, it's almost something that I feel as though women we don't talk about enough. Um, that part of my narrative, I learned the silence at that time. Um, So now I'm bringing it to the forefront to normalize uh, these birthing stories. These are part of our experiences and they're here to stay as a part of our own quiet revolutions. Um, So I ended up going back to graduate school to study not just what happened to me, but I started becoming um, like, uh, in tune with what was happening to women's wombs, um, Black women would talk about these stories at the kitchen table. They would talk about these stories um, in the nail salon, uh, the at, in you know around different types of um, you know home care settings, folding clothes. And so I just started hearing the women, listening to the women, listening to the women, listening to the grandmothers, listening to the aunties. To the cousins who gave who, who who had an abortion, to the the you know the grandmother who lost the child, and no one ever talked about it. So these these um, reproductive birth stories were always happening. They were just silenced. They were silenced. And if you weren't married, your motherhood wasn't validated. So they were even more hushed due to certain undertones of religiosity and Christianity. Um, so what started happening is, um, was my ear started um, listening in. Um, and then that's how I ended up going back to graduate school um, to study um, medical sociology and reproductive health. Um, it was a winding road to get to this point, um, but nevertheless, um, my daughter and I, we walked through those waters together um and so when i often talk about why i'm successful i have to look at my child um so often the the narrative is to go to school first have kids second but i wouldn't be here if i didn't have my child first she brought me my dissertation she was the first person to be ready to go when i was defending like I, i remember the day of my defense and she literally was already dressed you know, um, she's like, "Mommy, today is the day. <laughs> you know, this is a big day." <laughs> and so, I have to give credit to my child. Um, as a postdoctoral fellow, my focus now is on advanced reproductive health technologies and what they're doing to Black women's bodies. So we're being exposed to non-invasive prenatal testing, IVF, in vitro fertilization, all of these new technologies. But as these technologies increase, birthing is getting worse. Mm-hmm. And how we have this polarized split between the two, no one knows. Um, yet we know, but we're not fully knowing. Or we're not prioritizing what we know, if that makes sense, with funding and dollars and, and, um, and uh, damn, a dam. That's what I think. So um, my research focuses on understanding Black women's perceptions of the reproductive health care system in the United States. I do interrogate the perspe- perceptions of Black women who identify as Afro Latina as well, um, coming from Miami, um, women who could check both boxes of Black or Cuban or Black and Haitian or Black and you know you know from Puerto Rico. But they often are presenting as Black women or treated like Black women in everyday circumstances. Um, and mis- uh, categorized with white Latinas. So that presents another part of a uh, problem in uh, Black health, you know, because Blackness is per- it permeates throughout the entire di- diaspora. And we forget about how South America has more Black uh, bodies um, than North America. So I do bring in some uh, additional narratives from the entire Atlantic slave trade and not just um, North America. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is how I got to this point, and um, my goal is to become a professor in a medical, um, a medical school, where you, we have, unfortunately, a lot of um, pra- um, practicing OBGYNs or residents who've never seen a natural birth. Wow. Uh, they've never seen a natural birth, and they often attribute uh, reproductive health disparities to genetics and not to structural racism or implicit bias or systemic racism or residential segregation or environmental racism so they often think that it's women's behaviors uh you're not eating right um or you're not exercising enough or you didn't follow the doctor's orders um xyz that's contributing to these worst outcomes but when i talk to patients uh, one of my patients she mentioned my ancestors told me not to go to the hospital hmm. they told me So you're talking about women who are getting advice on their pregnancies and birth from a different realm, the spiritual realm that's excluded from the Cartesian model of of care, which only includes the body. So physicians are taught to only look at the body and not to look at the holistic mind, body, soul. So um, in my practice, in in the way I practice science, um, I infuse it with spirituality as well, because that is a part of wellness at the core. So that is how I'm here. Um, And uh, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say at this moment.
1: There's so much that y'all said that I kind of want to pick up on because I think it's a great segue from last week. Cause y'all are talking about maternal health and black women from like a structural perspective. But last week we had mothers talking about the medical process from their own experience. And so I was hoping that y'all could just like elaborate a little bit more on almost almost like a follow-up to last week, but like from the medical and structural side, just kind of give us a lay of the land as far as Black maternal health, pregnancy, delivery from like the structural side, because I'm sure y'all have seen the full gamut.
4: Um. To, to kind of continue the conversation here. Um, I think what was impactful in listening to the stories that are told, which is highly important, like um, just like Dr. Dr. Poetry said, um, what I was hearing is what is a common theme, which is we rely on medicine to dictate to us what is going to be done to our bodies without the consideration of who we are as people, where we came from, how we're raised, who just like who we are in general? And um, that's a that's a longstanding history um, that's that's come about. Um, if we're talking about midwifery, you know, Black midwives were at the center of healing for the communities, especially within the South. And in early America, because, you know, these are people who carried over tradition, their herb, herbal revenues, but we weren't allowed to, number one, there weren't hospitals to begin with, right? It, 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 within the, the beginning of America, there's not a hospital, there's no institution for that. But if even if there were access to it, we wouldn't be able to go. Um, and then on top of that, um, the people who were healers amongst white communities, which were sometimes us, but mm-hmm. overall, Um, they weren't coming to see us Um, or if they were coming to see us they were coming to see us to make sure that the property uh, as in a person was okay because that that means money for somebody else so these midwives are going to communities trying to use whatever they have so they're like not just delivering babies that's and I want to be clear midwives we do a whole lot more than deliver babies it is a fantastic part of what we do but we are doing cervical cancer screening we um, talk about contraceptive management which does not always include or limit us to just hormonal birth control um, we help with abortion care we are there to support people during their time of loss like everyone thinks like oh your job must be amazing we go through it with our patients when they're losing their children um, and I, I truly believe firmly believe too that part of our, our job is to be with the person which is what midwife means um, but um, what, what also that it expands to is um, going through the experience with them and uncovering the secrets and and all that toxic damage that has been done. So the secrecy that we have within, um, you know, the parenting structure. So, you know, it's not until someone experiences a loss and is verbal about it that they then find out that their mother or their aunt or their sister also had a loss or um, that they had fibroids as well. We've been silent for way too long. I, I went off on a tangent, so I'm going to bring myself back around. But <laughs> but um, going back to the structural part of it, um, as um, America is kind of being built up, as we as Black people are building up America, let's just mm-hmm. be real, what's happening is you see the development of the hospital system and the Black midwives were sustaining communities. They were also um, sustaining people who had to be wet nurses and breastfeed white families. So they're feeding their own child and also feeding a white family's child. They are going to places where people it, people are experiencing loss and giving them the herbs and medication so that, that, that tissue and all that, the remnants pass through them. Um, they are acting as like a family practitioner because again, the, the other healer is maybe miles and miles away and they can't come in so they have to use what they know to help out, right? Um, so we have this going on and they're sustaining community and then you have this structure of or this system of of medicine that comes in, and they come in and they literally it's like a bowling ball down an alley, break it all up, and they're they tell black midwives you are um, you're not sanitary, you need to do these things this way, you are killing children meanwhile we have these physicians who have no idea about anything about bodies but come into practice on us they are doing mm-hmm. procedures on us without medication um, without anesthesia let's be let's be very specific and um, again the black woman's body, Um, was literally the site of all this research without consent, without, you know, again, the anesthetic. And this is how things blossomed into, oh, Black women don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. Well, number one, if we look at it from the standpoint of slavery, if I say something, you're going to beat me and die. If I don't say something, you think I'm just really, really strong and Mm -hmm. this Neanderthal that you call me. Um, So there's so many components to what what has happened over the course of time. Um, And going back to the midwifery report, um, so these white physicians are coming in to say, you're not doing these things correctly, even though we've sustained community. Um, And you need to go and take these trainings and pretty much trying to integrate into the white hospital system. However, that is when the, I wouldn't say eradication, but when they began to really break down um, and disperse and try to kill off midwifery um, as a whole. Uh, However, there were people in the community still doing what they needed to do because some people couldn't afford to get to the hospital. Um, And again, even if they went to the hospital, would they get the treatment that they needed? So that's a little bit of the background now, which translates it into um, the bigger issue that we're looking at now. We're, we keep hearing the Black maternal health crisis, the Black maternal health crisis. This is not new. This has been going on for a while. Um, you'll hear the statement over and over, Black women are three to four times more likely to die than a white woman. Um, not, even if you consider their financial status, their education, um, their access to good quality care, they're still three to four times more likely to die. And if you go to specific states like New York, at one point in time, they are 12 times more likely to die. So when you walk into the hospital, you are a ticking time bomb because no one's listening. They're ignoring, wow. they're missing. Um, and and uh, I saw you, John, get upset. And <laughs> if anyone's yeah. ever seen John get mad, <laughs> he was mad, really? um, you know. talking about like you said what to my partner um you're just going to come in here and touch bodies this is what they do let us not be confused this is how things go and so this is why it's super important not only one number one to get the knowledge out there so people know but so that people are walking in prepared and I don't want to have folks um be confused by my statement because I'm not saying that this relies on the Black person, the the fault is not on the Black person. However, when you are killing Black bodies in a hospital system, it's super important that you go into a space well-educated and informed so you can put your armor on and protect yourself. Not everyone has access to midwifery care outside of the hospital. It is expensive, um, and sometimes they're just not in locations where they're located. Um, There are seven states right now where midwifery can, you cannot have a home birth. um, And I wanted to address one of the statements, Georgia is not one of those states, you can have a midwife deliver you outside of the hospital, but it's the type of midwife um, that you're seeking care from. So it's very important for people to understand if if one midwife tells you that they can't do out of hospital birth, ask them what type of midwife they are, and then find out who else would be able and willing to do birth outside. That's a very important thing. So- Nationally, we're. I'm.
0: I'm. I'm. I'm I'm glad you clarified that. That's so important. Thank you.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Nationally, we're trying to make sure that midwifery practice can be consistent across the board. But when you go to different states, there's different laws for allowing us to practice in and out of the hospital, and that's what makes access to care so uh, vast. And you know, there's this gap, this uh, you know, healthcare gap in so many different places. So I'm gonna cut myself here because I can go on and on and on. (laughs) <laughs> no sis you said that you said that drops Mike
1: <laughs> I'm just I'm just, I'm, through. I'm just really I don't know I'm, I'm speechless but I, I guess I'm thinking about how you laid it out so clearly as far as like the patterns um the history when I think about just what you said as far as like doctors not uh practicing good good practice good medical practice on black women not providing anesthesia like the first thing that i thought of was last in our last episode where nila said um i was waiting for them to come with the drugs and they never came and keisha was like they were never coming you know it's just so wild to me how these like individual stories get wrapped up in a whole pattern it's just it's wild
2: mind-blowing so oh i'm sorry go ahead
0: Oh, no, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I, w- I was just gonna ask this question because, so it's, well, I'll say that question for another time, but going off of what Jackie just mm-hmm. said, like, and and maybe you could speak to this, Shamika, um, is uh, one of the things Neela talked about was how they just came in while she was sleeping, she didn't know they was gonna do it, and they just broke her water, and she was, cr- and she was screaming because she was in so much pain, and they were like, oh, she's just being dramatic. Well, all we did was break her water. And it's like, they're not giving drugs, they're breaking water without permission. What do women who are listening, people who are listening, and people who will listen to this podcast, what do you do when that happens? Because they, they, they come in with the bullshit and before I break a neck, <laughs> before I break a neck, let me know if I could do this the legal way, okay. figure out how, not, how, how to get this not to happen, or if yeah. it does happen, Ooh. How then can we, you know, hit them in the pockets, hit them, you know, with a lawsuit, whatever it is we got to do to stop it from happening to other people. Cause yeah. not just, I don't want to just complain or put it on podcast. What do we need to do? Because right. that is insane. Right. But, but, and but as soon so as I, and I get hit with a lawsuit, I get hit with assault charges. Yeah. And now my kid got to grow up with a father in 10 years. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you know what I'm done. saying? I, I got a father from behind, the, behind bars. But what, what 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 can y'all tell us when things like this, or to keep things like that from happening? Because that just that just mm-hmm. pissed me it off. Was, and
1: I just wanted to add that there were so many examples. Like they were talking about the the vaginal exams that they didn't even know were coming. Like right. there were so many examples where they were like, "Oh, and the doctor did this and didn't warn me and didn't tell me." And I'm like, "What? Who does that?"
0: Right. It,
4: saying there's so many examples, but um, you you talked to two people and i'm not going to discount that that's valuable information and in total four different birth stories because um one guest had three and then keisha i had has one and she also has her stepchild as well but can you imagine the stories that have not been recorded right. that have not been documented um that have not been told or shared or don't even know that what happened to them was was not supposed to happen. It was
0: criminal
1: wow it was criminal yeah. It but definitely I, I
4: is. I also I know Dr. Poetry had I feel like she had something to say. So let's yeah. let's go there and then uh, we can answer John's question.
2: <laughs> no, and <laughs> absolutely, and I'm listening and, and just being present um with everyone's narrative and information. There's a term um called obstetric violence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Obstetric violence. Um mm-hmm. it was first uh, coined in Latin America, um, but it's being studied here um as well in North America. Actually, it needs to be <laughs> a term that is um consistent across the americas and um, that diaspora but obstetric violence uh, focuses on how what happens um in os- obstetric care is violent to the body and it doesn't take into account the woman's body um or the the person's body as um, a body of agency oh. a body of autonomy uh, a body that mm-hmm. um can speak their own decisions and know what's best for them so it can even be very subtle as giving someone pain medication when they didn't ask for it or not giving someone pain medication when they did ask for it. Oh. Obstetric violence, um, when someone comes in and just breaks the water or give um, uh, the, the person Protocin or something or uh, a episiotomy when they did request search, certain um, requests in their treatment, not informing the uh, birthing person of uh, when their birthing plan might change or wait until the last minute to let them know. I also had a patient um, Afro-Latina, she mentioned to me, she did her research. She found um a, a OBGYN who was culturally competent, who had who, you know, was mm. past all her training and implicit bias and all of that. Um, did all, checked all of the boxes. Um, but what happens is even that female OBGYN who was of color and could relate to her patient population that female um, ob was still susceptible to the institutional racism of that hospital. Mm-hmm. So what happened is even if that OBGYN gyn um, says, I requested, my, my patient requested not to have a C-section, the senior white male doctor, which patterns show, um, there are more of them um, in these facilities, especially um, working on women who have high-risk pregnancies can override that, um, the the junior OBGYN's decision. So what happens is there is still a layer of institutional racism, not just for the patient, but for black female midwives or black female nurses or black female um, OBGYNs who are still susceptible to the institutional arrangements of that particular medical establishment. So this is pervasive and hegemonic and operating at almost every single level of wow. the medical establishment, micro, meso, and macro level, top down and top up, all the way infused throughout. And this is not a broken system. As David, Dr. David Williams, Harvard professor, this is not a broken system. This is a well-designed system. It is well-designed to carry out the intent that it meant to carry out, things like obstetric violence um things um like uh trauma intergenerational trauma uh, psychological warfare on the body uh there's a a book that I wanted to highlight here by Dorothy Roberts and we can't have a segment like this without talking about Dorothy Roberts since so she's like that hey, <laughs> oh! man, <it> is.
0: <laughs> she yes she will be considered that queen
2: in this yeah. uh in this <laughs> in this arena um, and she says here on page 23 um right here that uh where is it the social order established by powerful white men was founded on two inseparable ingredients the um, the dehumanization of africans on the basis of race and the control of women's sexuality and reproduction so for slave women procreation had little to do with liberty Black women were not only seen as commodities and property, but they were um, strategically meant to breed, the in, enforced in slave breeding, to maintain the system of enslavement, which is how we even have a medical establishment, one, and how we even maintain slavery in the South. And through and I feel my grandmother's on this because I hear the thunder and lightning it roaring in the background. So, um, and, and and to bring up some more, um, some, some more examples of this that, um, midwife Ayana just mentioned one FMLA. So even when you give birth in this country and you're looking for that good old maternal health package, or you're looking for, uh, that six, six weeks window or Uh, eight weeks window to go back to work and paid maternity leave that's almost non-existent in the u.s context this is the highest income country with the worst maternal health outcomes for um historically vulnerable populations the highest income country with the worst maternal health outcomes that's one two we have the history of eugenics that very few people bring into the conversation that black bodies were policed since day one Black bodies, blackness, anti-black racism, um, or seeing that certain features, phenotypology, um, all of that is a part of the entire infrastructure at every single level of of the scientific enterprise um three we talk about med- um re- residential segregation and very few people talk about how residential segregation impacts birthing outcomes what does something like residential segregation where you buy your house where you live where you eat where you sleep mm. what does that have to do with birth wow. it has everything to do with birth right because oftentimes groups black and brown groups tend to group together or live together buy property together rent together in the same types of spaces to congregate, one, for safety, two, for affordability, and uh, three, uh, for political power. But what happens is due to residential segregation, redlining, uh, neo Jim Crow laws, Jane Crow laws, if you wanna bring that in, um, what happens is this further separates black and brown communities from healthcare services and not just healthcare services from quality, healthcare services. So you're just, you're pushed out, or you're on a, um, you have a doctor, you have to wait, you know, weeks to see it, get an appointment, or you can't request your own, you know, physician, or when you look at the listing under your Medicaid package or your private insurance packages, this person is outside of your coverage. All of this is part of the small designs Mm. with racism in mind. And people never think that that connects to something like residential segregation. But these are the structural barriers that are put in place, well-designed, again, to carry out its agenda since day one. And the last part I was gonna mention um, in terms of reproductive stratification, there's a term called reproductive stratification. Um, um, It's kind of coined in sociology, but what happens is where you tend to encourage white women to give birth, and disincur- discourage um, black women from giving birth. Oh. And it happens so subtly at the micro level, you're not even paying attention to it. So reproductive stratification, black woman gives birth. She comes in for her first appointment. She's excited and the doctor or the nurse or even the a- 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 admin says, oh, are you married? Oh, um, your child might be this complexion um, or where's the father? You know, even those little subtle um mm-hmm. implicit biases being her um her feelings about her pregnancy, mm-hmm. she's carrying that with mm-hmm. her, not only outside of the clinical encounter, but also within the clinical encounter, and this can impact her allostatic Her right. the way she perceives her body, perceives her pregnancy, perceives her birth. So, all of this is happening psychologically at every level. So, not only do you have what Du Bois calls this double consciousness. Mm-hmm. But almost like a triple consciousness, where it's just like, I'm, I'm not only conscious of my race, I'm not only conscious of my gender and class, but I'm also conscious of the fact that I'm bringing a life into this world. How does it feel to be a problem, The boys asks. How does it feel to give birth to the problem, is what we're asking. Oh. And so this, this point right here is um, Black women giving birth to problems. What, do, what does the agenda say to this? We have to take Black women out the game. And the way we do this is um, the way we—I don't say we or they—and um, how we all kind of, sort of, are implicitly, you know, um, trained to be uh, complicit in these agendas um, is by not, you know, being trained or to know that this is happening. It's so subtle that we miss it, you know. So it's—it's—that's it's, how oppression does a very thorough job. I think, and it is. The patient's problem, the individual's fault, and we miss the cues that have been there along the way.
4: We're, we're blamed, going back to John's question, we're blamed for a lot of our own problems. Um, and I think that's already been said, um, but the things that you will hear within the hospital system are cringeworthy. Um, uh, the things that are done so simple things as, like, a cervical exam, we're finding that, like, instead of asking someone's permission because that is their body, that's their autonomy, that, that's their right, um, you find people going in, okay, open up. You know, I have a friend who, like, details a story about when she was getting, she was in the midst of labor and contractions, and the doctor says, open up. You don't talk to me like that. This is my body, my experience. Um, and also, I also have to be very transparent, especially when people are coming into the hospital system and wanting to, to have what we, what we term as a natural labor, but physiological labor, which is like, they don't want to come in. They want to come in. They don't want any medications. They just want to let things happen on their own um, in a system that's not designed for them to do that. And so I have to tell them, you know, le- let me let you know, I know where I work i i know and recognize where i work it's all about checking checking your biases checking the fact that you are in this space that is not designed for black bodies um and so i i often have to remind myself even with some of the things that i had previously said or had done in the past you have to change those things if you're if you're wanting to um really disrupt the system so there's a lot of things that happen within the system that are are cringeworthy and they do not feel good and i leave some days feeling that trauma in my system and i've had to work through within the last couple of years i I, i've done some serious work in like decompressing and creating rituals so that i'm when i'm in these spaces i'm not causing myself further harm and then causing my patients further harm either Mm -hmm. um john you asked like what do we need to do um we, we do have to take on some responsibility for ourselves. Again, keeping in mind that the responsibility is not necessarily ours to take, but because people are not caring for us in the way right. that we need them to, we, we do have to step in. And so one of the things, a few things that I mentioned to people is vet your provider. Now, here's a tricky part, as um, Dr. Dr. Pochi had mentioned too, um, because your insurance dictates where you can go, sometimes you, can, you are only allowed to go to this one person or these few people. So I know that I'm speaking from a place of privilege when I say don't continue going back to somebody who's going to cause you harm. Some people don't even have that option. Yeah. So, like, what do we do? And I'm, I'll get to that in a second, too, because I have something to tell you about. Tell us the team.
3: Tell us the team. I can
4: tell you. Well, let's start here. So, right. like, people are like, and, and with with um COVID and the pandemic, we've seen you know a rise in the number of people wanting home births and out of hospital right. births because there it's fear. You know, it's fear based, and um, that's a whole other tactic as well. um And so. We've seen that happen, but not everybody can afford a home birth because that usually is out-of-pocket expense or from the well, midwife perspective when it is um, supplemented by, uh, we call it Medi-Cal. You guys are Medicaid. medi mm-hmm. Yeah. So Medi-Cal. when we're, we're supplemented with Medi-Cal. Their, their supplements for the care is not nearly even near 50% of the actual cost of birth and prenatal care. Mm-hmm. And then if the patient has to transfer to a hospital, you can forget getting your money uh, for mm-hmm. that care. How do you sustain midwifery if you do not ha- get paid?
1: Yeah. What, what is medical? I have never heard of that before. medi
4: is the equivalent is it's the medi- equivalent to cal I think it's the Cali,
3: Cali ver- version probably.
1: Yes.
4: Oh, okay. Yes. So okay. Medi- Medicare? Yeah, okay. Medicare. Medicare. Yeah. So, Medicaid. Yes. Um, so that's the equivalent there. So, go- I mean, you know, government funding is not going to cover midwifery care outside of the hospital. That's a tactic. Um, So just as much as people are planning for their vacations, they're planning for their wedding in their homes, you need to plan for birth. And this is what is like my driving force and um, something I try to promote very often and is very, very important to me. We need to start speaking about birth with our young queens and kings at a young age, because not only is birth and pregnancy this transformative experience, we have people who are walking into it unexpectedly and don't know what what is happening downstairs or with their genitals like i've sat in the vagina chronicles it it grew because i kept sitting in front of people who knew nothing about their body but had a full baby come out of it so what are you then teaching your child if you know nothing about yourself so it's very important that we start from a young age talking about these things and I appreciate Keisha because she was going into like what she's been telling her children. Both of your guests were talking about like, you know, what they need to know, what they what, what's going on with their bodies it's super important um, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in that and in addition postpartum is like the forgotten time period which is one of the most crucial oh. times and I'm not talking about and just to clarify because people think when you say postpartum they're referring to depression I'm referring right. to the time after the baby is born and the rest of your life because right. postpartum nah. is nah. the rest of your
0: life it yeah get us the re Define, reimagine this. I love that. Everything afterwards is, is postpartum. I never thought Everything about
4: that. until until your dying breath, or God forbid, your child. life You are in postpartum. You wow. you have now adapted this role change. You are you are. I love Dr. Poetry when you said you had your baby. You're celebrating your birthday too because a, a person who is having a baby, no matter what that looks like, is being re born and yes, that thank you, thank you. is this mm. huge mm. impactful thing people are taking this like for granted mm. birth is not just this fly by night thing if you are paying attention you are at the portal between life and life death. and death people when you, if you look at somebody who is like you know, this, this is my experience, even people who are medicated, but if you are looking at somebody who is in this tran- transformative or transitional period, when they're about to have their baby, they're usually saying to us, take the baby out. And I'm yeah. like, you got to do it. And when you look in, in their eyes, you are going to see someone who is not the same person when they walked in that door you are mm. seeing someone trans very the very transformation happened then and they are leaning into you with eye contact if their eyes are open um for support because they are going through something outer body experience it is happening so bringing it all back I- i'm <laughs> gotten, i've gotten better at that guys so i go off and tear good back in so-
0: <laughs> you yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep going keep going
4: so um so what's important is early education about pregnancy and postpartum and our bodies. Right. That's the super important part. So not just like what happens when you have a baby, but like all the other components in, as well. Um, the other thing too is, um, having someone in the room to support mm-hmm. you. I mm-hmm. heard, um, the young lady, uh, forgive me. I keep forgetting her name. What is Neela. What is her
3: name? Mila. Mila.
4: Mila. Forgive me, Neela. I heard your story. I heard it loudly. Um, I heard your stories and, um, and doing a procedure without informing you of the risks, the benefits, and the indications, and then your verbal consent or written consent, depending on what the procedure is, that is a violation, as Keisha, Keisha mentioned, of your human rights. So um, the reason why I bring up doulas, dou- it has already been studied and proven that doulas and midwifery care can reduce the rates of C-sec- unnecessary C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, they also are there to be an advocate for people when perhaps they can't advocate for themselves, or maybe their advocacy has, has, has stopped for whatever reason. So it's, it's so funny, you know, like, John, you were like, what do I do? You can always take a moment, like if someone says, um, "Coming in, like you know, we need to do X, Y, and Z, and we need to do it now." There's always a moment, and the is love to love to do this. They're like, "Can we pray about it?" You know, right. mm-hmm. and and that is a tactic because it's not necessarily that you're going to pray. Is that the the answer to your question? Is this does not have to be done right now. Mm. If you if you're paying attention, this doesn't have to be done right now. So a doula, and that's not just what they do. (laughs) Doula do a a whole wide variety of things. They are um, non-medical supporter people who are coming in to help you with your pregnancy care. So they're not going to deliver your baby um although that has happened but that's a whole other topic they're not going to deliver your baby but they're going to be there to support you or be with you at your birthday they'll they'll be there to support you along each stage postpartum they're you know if you find an excellent doula they are cooking meals for you or they have that set up so that it's done for you um they're there to like help you with breastfeeding lactation um pregnancy positioning so that you're getting more comfortable during that time um but that is another way, it's another piece of armor. This is I've been using this term myself now lately. We need to armor up because they're just coming for us and we're coming defenseless pretty much into certain spaces. This is part of the armor that you need is someone who's going to be mm-hmm. watching, that's another part. Watch what's happening, ask the questions. If someone's annoyed, that's too bad it's mm-hmm. my body that's, like say it again, it's say my it again. Body. and it's my experience <gasps> and, and and what's what i'm gonna bring in the white eye the white perspective of it too it's not just black people having these obstetrical violent experiences there are white people that is their experiences have been traumatic as well that's again a whole other topic but what we need to start doing as a medical profession, in my uh, my opinion, is honoring the experience that's happening before us. This Mm -hmm. is not just a one and done journey, like this is not just like pop a baby out. This is like someone's carefully planned, hopefully, um, and curated experience. And while no, it doesn't always look like how we want it to, we can at least take the the time to like recognize and say, I hear what you're looking for. This is what we can do. This is where I'm gonna meet you. Um, And it's, it's really about honoring the fact that someone sitting in front of you is human you know, Mm. this is not for no reason, right, Mm. right,
1: right, right,
4: is a human person coming to you for a human need, not a Black need, not a white, like, a human need, so, like, let's honor that, and then going beyond that, you've, you've destroyed many things for Black people, so it's time for you to give back and to, um, to really pour into them. Um, the, the statement that I wanted to make before, it's like, how do we get out of these spaces or how do we you know, have an opportunity to survive these spaces? I'm gonna put some pr- uh, perspective here. There are 384-ish uh, birth centers or centers where people can have their babies that are not hospitals and not the home. So kind of like a middle ground, freestanding birth centers in the United States. There are 12 that are owned by black people do mm. the math. Mm-hmm. So um and I I can give you information on the foundations that are trying to change this. There's a birth center birth center equity foundation which is trying to change that. Um Jenny Joseph she's um a, a midwife as well who has her own school, she's common sense midwifery. Um I'm just going to be transparent cuz I've been I've been trying to like manifest this for the last 5 years. I will have my own birth center. Yes, you will. Yes, you come, will. come on
0: now. How so, much money you need? I got I got 20, I, got, I, got, I got, five got 5 on it. Got <laughs> I got $14 in it. my pocket.
3: I That's
1: got, got you
4: five on <laughs> it. Like and
3: say,
4: now's <laughs> the time. Like now's not the time. Not yet. Give me a minute." But when I come to you and say this, cuz people, you know, I I speak a lot. I talk a lot with people and they'll say, "Well, where can we donate?" If, Give me a second but oh, when, I come, when i do come please come with your coins because <laughs> the financial aspect again dr but dr poetry mentioned this as well um the financial aspect is we need funding too we need diversity in medicine we need diversity in midwifery yes but there's fun money like we can't thrive without some of the funds and uh, again that's tactical so those are my armor uh, points. I'm going to stop talking so other people can talk.
3: No, <laughs> you good. Just, <laughs>
4: let's go to Doctor
3: Portree. I feel like I'm so glad that you used that metaphor of armor again, mm-hmm. saying armor up, because that's exactly what Doctor Portree was talking about, saying we at war. So let's hear your war tactics. What's in the artillery? What's the ammunition? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, one
2: and first and foremost, I know we talked about solutions. Um, Nina Simone. She she has a <laughs> A quote: She's like, "I'm not the doctor to cure cure this. I'm the doctor to expose this. And we cannot cure anything until it's exposed. So I am the doctor to expose this. I'm not here to bring solutions. I don't give advice. John already know. Um, <laughs> people hit me up. What should I do? I'm like, Mm-mm. Um, what we need to do, um, or what what has helped for me is to learn how to listen. Mm-hmm. Learn how to listen." to our bodies, Mm. learn how to reclaim our bodies as sites of power, Mm. um, learn how to listen, um, to summon in uh, um, help and power from the the grandmothers, the the foremothers, the aunts, the uncles, whomever, um, long before us, the ancestral realm. So for me, I think uh, um, it's more holistic, mind, body, and spirit needs to be channeled and brought back together. As people, we have always respected those three tiers. We have always respected the land, the spirit, the ancestral realm. Like we've always brought that to our care work. Um, It is only in this country where it's been dichotomized and kind of split in half. And so now I think if there is a solution is to get back to that. It's to get back to that listening, that voice you hear within like, "Mm mm-mm, this ain't right. Something is not going on here. I need to get a second opinion. And a, and a, a midwife Ayana just mentioned here, I don't want to privilege, um, you know, some women who don't have that option due to their insurance status. Um, but um, actually, actually, for example, I have a, a patient, she couldn't get a second opinion because it was too um, expensive. So she had to go with the, the first opinion of her physician. And oftentimes when women don't um, follow the stipulations of their physicians, so to speak, they are sanctioned. And these sanctions are detrimental to black and brown bodies because these sanctions often mean that a social worker is going to have to follow you home. Someone's going to have to check in on your pregnancy or your birth or your postpartum. um, Come to your home to make sure you're a fit parent, a fit mother. So these sanctions are very criminal. Um, They criminalize black bodies. Um, and so I think if there is a solution, it is for us to um, master the gift of information, to get more information, mm-hmm. to not be apologetic about wanting more information. Malcolm X says this perfectly well. This is not uh, me being, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, it's not me being in my feelings, it's me having emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence by asking more um, questions. Um, Midwifery is so interesting. I I really wish I would have had a midwife. Looking back on it, I was 23 years old. Um, My body knew something was happening. I knew what was going on. I would wake up at 4 a.m. in the spiritual hour to pray to meditate over my belly. I knew that there was something going on in my womb. I didn't have the language, the permission slips to say, yes, you can do this or no, you don't have to do this. Um, So looking back on it in um, hindsight, I really wish I would have learned what I knew now or listened more to my body, to my grandmothers, to the foremothers um, before me Um, at the time when I was um, giving birth at 23, uh, these physicians were coming in telling me I had to get an epidural, uh, telling me I only had a certain window slot to do so. Um, All of that is a part that rush, that rush to make a clinical decision is detrimental to your body, is detrimental to your mind, body, spirit, and is detrimental to to your postpartum thereafter because now you're reflecting and you're thinking, did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? Am I responsible? for my birthing outcome, my birthing experience, when really it's as an integral part of the the structural powers that be that impact your birthing experience and your birthing process. So I definitely think um, getting more information, uh, listening um, to these uh, stories, telling your story, there's power in telling the story in whatever way that the story manifests is so much more um, important and that these are action steps in the right direction. Some people often say, Uh, I'm not all about talk I'm about listening or I'm all about I'm not all about talking about action but we forget that telling birth stories is action work too yes telling Mm -hmm. birth stories is action work that is a revolution when you could tell your story and tell it well when you could be in public and breastfeed and not give a damn where you could say I really want a doula or a midwife I want to know what this means for me can I get more information I think that is the sermon and so um I don't want to offer solutions. I want to offer uh, tools of war to sharpen your tools. Iron sharpens iron uh, with leaning in more to your story, leaning more to the women before you and listening to the Black body. Um, I would like to shout out definitely some uh, midwives that I know in, in South Miami, uh, Southern Birth Justice, uh, Midwife Jamara, uh, that, uh, also The Gathering Place. These are all Black women owned. Yes. Um, they actually just had their first their very first um, black maternal health week in yes. mm-hmm. County. so shout outs to 305 holding it down the Grassroots Collective. Please do not underestimate the power of the grassroots level. So these women have supported um, my process to um, send me patients with birthing stories so that I can uh, collect stories for my dissertation. So I try my best to give back give shout outs as much as possible. Um, also spiritual midwifery. Uh, Sheila, she's a midwife. She focuses on the spirit. Um, So it's just bringing in those aspects of spiritual care uh, into the the birthing process. Um, It's uh, so, so much, so very important. Um, My last point in regards to postpartum, I really love that, sis, you said it is all the way up until you die. I see that. I honor that. I want to give name to Erica Gardner who is the daughter of Eric Gardner. And she was, uh, I'll say killed, but they say she died. Um, um, After, uh, I believe it was uh, a few months or so after she gave birth. But she experienced so much stress and chronic stress and uh, trauma to her body um, Mm -hmm. after her father, uh, Eric Gardner, was killed from the I Can't Breathe uh, traumatic assassination because that's what it was. she lost her life. And that is an act of postpartum death. I think people don't attribute her, uh, her death to uh, postpartum. They just say she, uh, she died, you know. But I think that has a lot to do with um, what's happening in the, in the streets, what's happening in, in uh, police brutality, on Un- the killings of unarmed black persons around the world impacts how we conceive. It impacts how we um, process prenatal care, how we process pregnancy and all of that um, is funneled through the <laughs> through the womb um, on our bodies. So I definitely wanna shout out those names of women who are losing their lives, but it's unreported as postpartum.
4: It's true. It's funny, well, not funny you say it, but ironic you say it, um, because uh, we, we talk about the black maternal health crisis and give a lot of light um, or, or attention to Pregnancy, but this is we're talking about um, maternity, morbidity, mortality, and this spans into the postpartum time frame, which we say is like the first forty days. But we know again, postpartum is the rest of your life. And yes, Eric Gardner, you know, was killed or died, however you want to interpret that, um, within her postpartum time frame, and that brings up the topic of like weathering what this, um, what this. Continues stress does to our bodies as Black yeah. people. You know, we we look wonderful. You know, we we don't crack, as we say, right? But um, on on the inside and on the cellular level, we are decomposing at a higher rate mm-hmm. than most other people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, during during postpartum or the t- postpartum time frame, you are at a highly um, susceptible rate to like car- heart. Um, heart conditions or like uh, throwing like a blood clot because your your blood volume has shifted and you're no longer supplying the uterus and the baby. So like you had you took on this new blood volume to to supply your baby, offer it nutrients, oxygen, all of these things, and that placenta in the uterus. But then you know once the baby is out, placenta is removed, your body has to adjust. It's like the shift that has to happen. So that's why we see things happen with mood um, and different mood disorders. Yes. Uh, And baby blues, which, you know, that could be like the normal ups and downs, but this is also why we're more susceptible to to things happening in this time period. And if we're not careful, like people can, you know, preeclampsia is is associated with pregnancy. This can happen after you have the baby too. So high blood pressure can happen too. Um, I wanted to go back to something that was said as well, which was like, there's healing and sharing our stories, Mm -hmm. which is so powerful. Um, but but making sure people know um, that there are many realms to action. Mm-hmm. And so what I love about about Black Maternal Health Week, which like the Black Mamas Matter Alliance has like put into play and it's now on, it's like third or fourth year, maybe more than that right. um, year. <laughs> so what they put into play is showing that ha- there are different levels of action. So right. there's fundraising, there's policy change, there's um, grassroots, like you talked about, there's sharing of your stories, there's um, people who are in research. We need to, again, remember people were doing research on us um, for the benefit of white folks, not the benefit of us. So what needs to happen now is that research is done for us, by us, and then told back to us, the results are shown back to us so that we can make changes in our community for the effect of ourselves. So, um, and then midwifery work, doula work, birth work, um, work within the medical system. We do have some amazing and fantastic, um, MDs who are really trying to affect change as well. Um, I want to say this point too, you know, like people, another, another tactic people are using or, or part of the armor is like finding someone who looks like you. However, that's not always a saving grace, Right. but exactly. uh, I want people to be very cautious again. And, and, and just on the other side too there are white people who have helped black people through their their own birth experience and possibly saved lives this is truth. so I always mix this up but not all kin, skin folk are kin folk is mm-hmm. what I, I like to say you know at the end of the day you have to ask these questions it's not just Keisha, Keisha did a really good job about explaining what she did she's like she asked like I want to know what this provider does. This is what my plan is. um, And if I don't care for it, I'm going to somebody else. You know, again, a a privilege, a privilege. But um, if you're able to do so, you know, making your movement or your way around, you get to consult. A conversation is not a commitment. I'm learning that at age 30 something. Mm. (laughs) It's not a commitment. It's just a conversation. That's what a consult is. Consult with somebody to determine if you actually like them. Stop pulling down your drawers for people you don't like. This that's is that's right,
0: <laughs> that and that go into a whole nother conversation. <laughs> out there, <aren't> they? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some there, there's some intersectionality <laughs> in our out there. Oh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> oh, it's not you a trip. Mm-hmm. But
4: what again, like if we if we're praying our young black girls who time and time again. Uh, Cause I'll never forget. I used to be in front of the minute in front of the mirror, y'all. Now I barely look, right? So I used to be in front of the mirror all the time, combing my hair. And what did my mom say? Get out that mirror, you know. Time and time again, we have we have these young black girls who are told that they're too fast. Get out the mirror. They're doing too much, and they're silenced. And then when they grow up, we're expecting them to like hold space for a baby and a child and sex and right. Into- and we have not been given the tools to do so and again no we're not placing blame per se because your parents are human too and they did the best that they could with what they have but like we now have to relearn and unlearn some things that have been so caustic to our femininity or our our feminism um, and how we want to view ourselves like you know if you've been told you're too fast some you could go either direction some people will lean into that and some people will shy away and then they just don't know anything about their bodies it's so important and critical that we're talking about these things now so that you aren't dropping your jaws for just anybody all the time like if we understood the power that was between our legs don't like the, the revolution <laughs> is coming through the black woman not nobody else okay right. so Please. that's all you know that's all mary had a little lamb (laughs) right right right. there is
2: a there's an aspect i wanted to mention you talked about uh you know victim victimization there's a term called Mm polyvictimization and it's often used in domestic violence or women who have experienced abuse um rarely applied to pregnancy but um, i really believe that there's a strong link um polyvictimization where you looked at the the intergenerational components of being victimized over time and what this does to the psychology, the psyche of, of women over time. So just looking at if your mother experienced trauma and mm-hmm. so many of us knew know that the women, the generation before us experienced so much trauma from their mothers um, and their mother's mothers from these slave, enslaved plantations, these lands who um, they internalize the memory or the, the harm, the violence, the death, the assassinations on their bodies, the rape, the sexual abuse, the assault, having their children ripped from their arms, giving birth um, and, and being, um, breed, you know, breeded, you know, all of this passed through the fiber of the birthing and the memory of the birth canal. So you might be experiencing memories from your own families that you did not create yourself. You remember something happening to your mother or something happening to your foremothers and you carry that memory. Us as melanated people, we are the first complexion, which also means we hold the most memory. Mm. We hold the most genetic DNA memory in our fiber in our cells. So when you have those dreams, those inclinations, those manifestations of memory, all of that's passed down intergenerationally, um, victimization intergenerationally, abuse intergenerationally. So when we proclaim our rights um, to uh, tell our stories, this is an act of power. I know know that these are multiple levels of action, but telling the story, I think telling that narrative is the very first power, especially for people who are oral culture, is the way we hold memory, hold space and share power, sharpen our tools to fight these wars. It's not going to be um, in silence. Our, our silence will not save us as RG Lord <laughs> uh, so plainly states it. And so I just wanted to talk about um, that aspect. Also, um, the second thing I wanted to mention is that Indigenous women, women of the diaspora, we came up with these frameworks. These frameworks are ours. Those strategies, these wellness strategies, these action steps that were taken, we created them. They passed down intergenerationally from, to, for, for us. These, um, these are seeds that were planted in us to continue to proclaim and exclaim. What's happening is white women are now having access to these strategies at higher rates than we do. So even like midwifery, um, where you had granny midwives in the South, um black women had to rely on their lay knowledge frameworks because they were excluded from medical institutions so they relied on midwives to save lives to give birth on you know and, and on the land and in plantations but what happens is now you see a, a flip where you see white women having more access to doulas more access to make we're free they know these strategies better than black women know so it's really interesting how now black, you know, there's a resurgence, but you have to look at the time point in history when certain groups have certain access to, um, uh, you know, wellness strategies for what and how and how does this play a part of the agenda that is well designed to uh, continue pervasive and perpetuate oppression, all of that is a part of the, the, the plan. Um, and in regards to that, I wanted to mention uh, something about um, women who are young giving birth. I want to shine light on teenage moms and young moms because so often, especially in brown and black communities, we often police women when they're not married <laughs> for being fast, for having a womanly knowing about their bodies, even at 16, 13, uh, 10, whatever, uh, for exploring themselves, for uh, so-called... Um, being grown uh I believe bell hooks talks about this and womanish (laughs) um but you know I want to shine light on our teen moms that are often left out of the conversation and even as a young mom myself I wasn't married when I had my child I loped thereafter and a part of me felt like we we were coerced to get married um but it's a very personal trauma that came with that for me that many people don't know and I'm being vulnerable on this podcast but Um, I would say as a young mom who gave birth, I wasn't given the same light as a married woman who got married first and gave birth. And that, that does a different type of trauma to a woman's body when there's religion involved, Mm. there's abuse involved from other women. Um, there's a policing that's involved. And then there's damage that you're never, um, beautiful or you're never like seen as uh, valuable um because you had you opened your leg so young so i want to tell mothers who experienced that that your your mar- your marital status your relationship status does not define your motherhood and your children need to see a happy woman rather than just a married woman and so mm-hmm. one of the reasons why i divorced say that, again. say that again your children need to see a happy woman and not just a married woman that is not mm-hmm. they're not the same thing so, um, when I got my permission slip from my child, from my womb to say, you know, you don't have to be married to be a great mother. There are women before you who've done it. And there's women, there are women after you who've done it. And so this, you are, you could be dope all by yourself and with your community help. As a matter of fact, I don't say I'm a single mom. I'm a village mom. Cause I uphold villages and villages uphold Ooh. me and my child. And we all work together in synergy. So I just want to shine light on that um when i was in south africa i actually went to south africa for six months back uh, way before i had my daughter and this this sentence came to me from one of the village moms and it kind of um came back to surface um as i was raising my daughter uh, uh the sentence says the woman with the child has the most wisdom the woman with the child has the most wisdom and that will always come to me And i always wonder why does she say that you know it's an african proverb Um, you know, African proverbs, people say them, but they hit you right when you need them, you know? And that one hit me along the way of raising my daughter because I always, I didn't feel like I had wisdom at 23, you know, people telling you what to think, what to do, what to dress the baby like. And I, you know, I saw this onesie that said, um, my mom doesn't need your fucking advice. And so (laughs) I was like, please, just we don't, we good, you know? (laughs) So, um, but, um, that proverb gave me the strength I needed. To be a young mom with wisdom,
3: mm.
2: a young mom who has you know things to say, a young mom who could say no, a young mom could say no. We, I don't feed my child that. We don't eat this, or we don't go over there, or we are free. We could travel. We are gonna go wherever we want. You know. So I learned to set myself free using the wisdom of the Af- the um African proverbs that I felt were coming back to me to proclaim that whether I'm twenty three whether I was 16, whether I'm 65, whatever age you are, you have a particular set of wisdoms that are assigned to you. And it is your human right and your birthright to proclaim those and to lean in toward them. They're there for you. So I, I'm just, I just wanted to shine some light on the young moms um, to, to trust their bodies and to know that you, <laughs> you're the queen, you're the boss, you're the goddess. And that doesn't mean that you have to be policed by religion, by marriage, or by anybody
3: else's opinion, period. I just appreciate everything that both of you have just, (laughs) just like poured out onto us just now, I am, so blown away I have so many questions and I know that we are like so out of time and I'm just thinking like yo, we just have to continue this conversation it's just so crucial I think where where we are right now I'm just thinking as we are about to close before we get to our takeout box section I think practically speaking what would be next steps for um anyone who is either pregnant about to be pregnant thinking about thinking about having a baby I I feel like it became quickly clear that this is so much more than just maternal health. It's like, it's just whole, it's just health period. So it's women's health. And so I'm not even sure what question it is besides from your, both of your perspectives, what are like, if someone, if a woman or a young girl is listening to this podcast right now, what are the like next three things that you would want her to do after hearing this conversation? and if you can't get three, just what's the next one thing actually let's just say what's the next one thing what's the just if you if she does nothing else after she listens to this conversation what is one thing you would suggest for her to do hmm. and then we'll go into the takeout boxes hmm.
4: Oh, I'm muted, I just realized that. Um, Dr. Poach, do you wanna go ahead? Uh, thank you,
2: sis. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say um, my first thing, um, this book gives so much courage. Um, and the title I think is fitting for what this means, this uh, queen sister, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor, the author, I speak her name. The book is called, The Body is Not an Apology your body is not an apology and so many times we're apologizing for stuff that doesn't belong to us Mm. we're apologizing for being too big too small too big too this too that (laughs) to can't you know too pregnant can't get pregnant we're apologizing as though our bodies you know um are doing something wrong you know so i just i if there's one thing i would say which hasn't even got to the step of prenatal care or primary Mm -hmm. care is to know that you do not have to apologize for what your body does Mm. or for what your body does not do that's 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 step one that's about radical self-love
4: wow i think um i mean exploration is key i definitely agree with that um you said three things and I so my brain is like rattling off like all the things that like need to be done.
3: That's um, all like, maybe just one because it might be hard. So d- whatever
4: works. Um so I think um taking initiative for self-learning and understanding. Um it's really important to understand what your body does. So like I think I think that's like a, a wonderful pairing. Like it's not an apology let's learn what it does mm. um, and there are like there's a few things that you can kind of do out there but knowing like how your system works and you know I remember as a child like my mom and I as we're talking about like the menstrual cycle we sat down mm. like let's go to the library so um, in conjunction with learning about your body find someone who is safe um, and maybe appropriate to take you on that journey as well it could be like a good girlfriend it could be your parents it could be you know it could be your midwife (laughs) take somebody on that journey with you so that like when you have questions um and maybe somebody who might be like in an elder type of position I feel like that's beneficial um again safe person so and people have to kind of know their circle to know who they can trust for that but we really should I am a firm believer in the village um we really should have people within the community um and this goes down to like even periods we didn't even get to talk about that but like when when, when that happens it should be a celebration like you know, these they're you know, if we if we're looking biblically, they, they, they had a special tent where they went, where right. they, where they, when they had their cycles, like, and you don't, I don't think they were just sitting there in misery, like they're kiki and ha ha and, and, right. their stories and letting them know, like, yo, when your wedding night happens or whatever, this is what's about to go down. Like, so that their young girls were prepared. So, um, again, finding like that, that village to take you on that journey. Um, and then, um, so, so you're talking about like, what should I do? What are the next steps? Uh, find you like, find a good doula, like just really find somebody who can take you on that journey if that's where you're going. But like, it's never too late to learn um, about what's about to happen during pregnancy and postpartum, et cetera, with your body. So start now, you know, I, I really am like, even if you're 20 and not planning on having children for another 10 years, learn now so that when you get to that place, you can remember and then reflect back, so that you're prepared for this journey ahead. It's, it's yes. preparation is key. It's so key.
0: Yo, I'm just, I'm full. I'm full. I'm, and look, and this, and this, and this is what we do when we full here on Street Academy podcast. Oh, we get, our, we get our takeout boxes, right? We get our takeout boxes. The things that we couldn't, we could, you know, that 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 uh, that we still digesting. And those things that we're gonna have to go home, go back to our, you know, our places of solitude and just consume even further. Uh, we ask, I guess, and 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 we as the hosts talk about I take what what we took away uh just from this meal and just from everything that you all have just blessed us with. Um one thing I would love for either Dr. Poetry or um or a midwife Ayana to 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 talk about is the difference between um, um, a doula and a midwife. So when we get to, you know, when y'all do y'all takeout box, if one of y'all could just could just throw that in there, I know for <laughs> me, my takeout box, um, I have a daughter, right? And there's a, I don't, I don't, I, I'm learning so much because a lot of times as a dad. I'm like, all right, well, she has a mother who could tell all these things, and so this ain't really, I don't really need to know this stuff, you know, everything about the Vagina Chronicles. I have been, I have been to the Vagina Chronicles <laughs> a few times, just to support, you know what I'm saying, not really. Hurt, but vagina, it, sorry.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think not need to know the Vagina Chronicles. Yeah, but...
0: Okay, anyway, sorry. Yeah, on on many different levels, not just on the sexual level, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but just in general, like men do need to know, you know what I'm saying? And so I just find myself being so empowered by this conversation because Mm -hmm. at some point when my daughter does get older and when she's talking to me, I could be able to tell her, yeah, you can go to your mother, and you can go to your auntie or whoever to talk about this, but daddy could tell you some things too, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that'll even bring us, you know, even closer together, you know what I'm saying? And then not only that, but I do think that, that there are spaces, there are sacred spaces in this conversation that do belong, that should be transferred from from, from a woman to a girl, from a woman to a woman. So I respect that part as well. So I feel like there's space for both me as the father and then me giving her, like what Dr. Poetry said, to the village of women who can then have a much deeper conversation about these things. So I'm just, I'm grateful for for, for you all. And, you know, to the brothers listening, hey, these mm. are important conversations, especially yes. if you have a daughter, especially if you have, you know, a younger, a woman in your life a niece or, you mm-hmm. right, or whoever you know what I'm saying or just young girls in the community we could be having these conversations man and just empowering us to you know just to continue to do the best that we can to you know help raise full healthy whole black women so, right. um, so I, I thank y'all sisters for that
2: yes
3: I would, um, uh, do I, are we allowed to say something else? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I was going to
0: so uh, do like maybe oh, like a two okay. minute takeout box. So okay. yeah, just two minutes. Take what, you know, whatever you take, take, take away from this conversation. We'll go to Dr. Poetry. We'll go to Jackie. We'll go to Ayana and then we'll end with Amber.
2: Okay. Um, Okay, uh, so my takeout um, box, I was gonna play a little bit of the chakra bowl for, my, for the listeners. I do uh, value wellness uh, and I do believe that one approach to the mind, body, soul, care of pregnancy and birth and postpartum uh, is to instill all of the tools um, of wellness um, that work for you. And one that works for me um, is to have affirmations or um, to have mantras um some of my mantras i get from sacred woman uh queen of four um mm-hmm. and on page uh, 62 she has uh, a a few uh, um, mantras for the womb so her top two that i say for the listeners um my womb is sacred and so is my life mm-hmm. my womb is precious and so is my life my womb is divine and so is my life so that's my takeaway i'm gonna play a little bit of chakra Bowl, uh, music, and so take your mind, body, spirit with you wherever you go. You are your first, your first knowing
1: and I just appreciate y'all so much I appreciate the the tone and the energy that y'all have brought into the space um and one of the things that just keeps sitting with me um I don't know I mean I just I'm kind of, not kind of, I'm quoting Oprah, (laughs) because when she did that interview, she asked that question that I think people just continue to sit with. Um, Were you silent or were you silenced? Um, And I think about how you all have said over and over that folks were silenced from sharing their stories in different ways. Um, And so it's, really important for us to listen and to like be attentive to the experiences of other women um other women and other birthing people um to share our stories and to not be silent to not be silent or to not be silenced Mm. Um, so I really appreciate um y'all for bringing that to to like the forefront into my consciousness
2: Ashe. Thank you, Queen
4: Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so take out box. I want to, well, I'll say this one. I have a lot, but I'm going to, I'm going to round myself in. <laughs> um, John, the Vagina Chronicles is for everybody. <laughs> and we I have a majority, <laughs> a majority, you know, female-led or, you People who have vaginas led uh, population. It is a space where someone can go get info that is um, relatable, and then take that wherever they want to go. I do have I do have people who identify as men who are there, and you know some of us have conversation, and they just are like, wow, you know. Um, but it is for everybody, and it's important not just for people who are, um, you know, who have children for siblings, but like your partner too. Like if you if you plan to have a, a partnership with someone with a vagina, I think these are very important topics to talk about. Um, if you uh, if you can understand the basics, you can understand the ramifications later on. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
4: uh, the other two more points, I'm gonna do three. I usually, I'm good with threes. So um, <laughs> the second point is, um, we have operated out of a sense of fear for way too long. And I don't want people to walk into um, spaces that were not designed for them in a, mm. in, or, or operate in a sense of fear or with fear being the leader of their life, um, or or their their path because um, that's not how we operate. Like that's not for us. Fear um, was used again tactics to break us down, to break apart our family, to um, make us think that we were less than to make us think that we couldn't get the education that we needed, um, but that has to stop. And so um, no longer should we practice out of a fear-based approach, but out of a knowledge-based approach and out Mm of um, a village-based approach. Mm -hmm. That's very important. And the last thing that I want to say to you, because um, a lot of Black people who are having babies have heard this, you know, the phrase three to four times more likely to die over and over and over. And while it's important to share that, we also need to Um, give them a level of protection as well. Black birth, successful Black birth can and does happen. I've witnessed it over and over and over again. It can and does happen. We just need to fortify ourselves, armor ourselves, um, and get us the village that we need. But Black birth is successful. It happens. And when it does happen, (laughs) the last Black birth I was at, I was like in tears. Um, These people... (laughs) They were singing at the end. I was like, "You guys, I have to be able to see what I'm doing." <laughs> so like, I, I wear goggles again, COVID, all that stuff. So like, up and I'm like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Like, but they're like singing, and I'm like, oh. "Like, okay, don't, don't, don't go there." But also letting myself be emotional too, because that's important as well. But Black birth is successful, um, and it can and does happen. So let's remember that just as much as there are these horrible statistics. Like walk with this knowledge that you can be successful at your birth. Yes.
2: Nice. And while you're at it, sis, go ahead and the question of midwife, midwifery oh, and yes. doulas. Yes.
4: yes, midwife versus a doula. So a midwife is a medical provider. We have gone to school for training so that we can um, or we've had an apprenticeship apprenticeship so that we can then offer services like we are there for your birth to actually help you with your baby um Mm. the term deliberate I'm really trying to get that out of my language because that's not what I'm doing I'm not your savior Mm. there are are some instances where saving is necessary but like I'm not your savior you are actually the one doing your own saving Mm. attend your birth
2: rewind (laughs) rewind (laughs) <laughs> you are doing your
3: own.
4: I'm not your savior. A lot of times at birth, we are relinquishing control because if we control too much, then we have bad outcomes. So right. um, so um, we attend births, we offer contraception care, abortion care, just like I mentioned before a doula um there the doula is someone who is supportive that this is um, um not necessarily a medical provider they're not offering medical service but they're helping you through your medical journey so um there are all types of doulas there are end right. of life doulas mm-hmm. there are specifically postpartum doulas there are sex doulas there are uh, pregnancy doulas so these are people who are walking with someone in their journey to support them along their way what's right. wonderful about a doula is like again great doulas will get you like if, if in your your early stage of labor into positioning help you with managing the pain Um, they are like getting the partner involved if there's partner or family involved so it's like a a team effort again setting up for you things that you need postpartum and doing that early and not like late Um, and then like uh, um, there's a there's a bunch of wonderful doulas out there too so another one that I know of she helps people specifically for Uh, those who have lost babies before and this is their next pregnancy can you imagine the journey that that takes to say I'm now carrying a baby I know a loss that's huge so like they help them through that time as well so um uh, it's physical, it's, it's all just like Dr. Poetry said, it's physical, it's mental, emotional, spiritual, it's all interconnected. It's not just one part of us. So we need more than one person to kind of help us through these journeys. And Absolutely. Like we're, we're hands on, you know, helping we use our hands on our hearts to help you get through your journey of pregnancy. Um, and safely and effectively, and then we refer when it's no no longer appropriate for us to do that. Like if right. there's something that's higher level of care that's necessary, I will talk to my doctor, or I'll say I'm going to co-manage with my physician because now we're at another level. But um, that's I hope that's helpful with the differences between a midwife and yeah. a. Child.
2: I encourage all the patients that I work with. And I'm not a physician. I am a so I am a medical sociologist. So just putting that out there. So, but I do. I work with patient populations. But I encourage all my patients to get doulas um, if the, if it's affordable if you can. Um, shout out to my brother. He's also having a child. He says he said he need a doula for the rest of his life. So like
0: he said, <laughs> that so What well, a uh, doula's at for your brother. So, I, <laughs> I need, I need a doula with your regular life.
2: <laughs> So I just, he, he always makes me laugh. So when I tell my doula friends what he said, they just start laughing too. Um, so I just, you know, advocate for black midwives and for
3: black doulas as well. Oh, Across the court. <laughs> Yo, I, my takeout box. I need one of those, like I'm coming to the 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 um thing with like i want the container that the mac and cheese
4: cake like that whole thing you want the pan <laughs> you want the takeout pan right the,
1: pan.
4: the, whole the pan. Pan. with the fire underneath too the fire <laughs> <with> <laughs> underneath <laughs> <taking> the fucking <laughs> the burners
3: too i'm yeah, taking look. the burner <laughs> i'm taking that little silver thing that is yeah let me get
1: the lid too let me get the
3: lid all of it i am i just i i have so much in there so many questions that i have when you are, oh my God, just connecting it back to just being on this American soil as a black woman Mm -hmm. and what it meant to birth in the beginning, like what the majority of our our foremothers um, were experiencing about birth on this particular soil and how that played into sexuality, how that played into religion, how there's control there. there. It's just so many different things that are intersecting that I'm just kind of blown away by it all. And then thinking about the medical establishment and where it came from um, and thinking about the question that you posed, Dr. Poetry, about like, what, it, what do you do when you're birthing the problem? And it's just like, yo, the weight of that, the weight of that, when it's just like, I'm giving life to what the problem is in in this particular space, that that blows me away. And I'm just, I mean, I started off the conversation encouraged and excited and then then I went like down into the depths of despair. I think I'm coming back (laughs) because I'm just, it's like how all of y'all were like, we're in war and stuff. I'm like, yeah, we are in a war. And then, but I was like encouraged. And so now I just feel like, yo, I'm. I'm just. I don't even know. Like, yeah. I just got a lot to eat, and I got to mm. a lot to eat for a while. Um, and I will be eating. And I already have the that book in my Amazon um, <laughs> Amazon cart right now. I know Amazon is a problem, and yet Girl. I need this book as quick as possible. So yes. it's coming in two days. Um, so there's that. I'm a part of that establishment. We we get we break one thing apart at a part of the time. Hey, I could go up and talk about that, but I won't. But something that you talked about too, you mentioned allostatic load and that's the amount of stress that we all carry. And I just yes. know for me, I, I feel the stress in my body. And just yes. from the pandemic, the stress is like it, and it, it's just like I have gained weight in different ways, in different places, places I don't want to gain weight in. It, it's everywhere. And I'm just like, there's so much stress, even from this pandemic. I just feel like I, I'm like. I'm envisioning from this conversation, like some type of community or village or connection for Black women post pandemic, because I feel like, mm-hmm. on top of everything that we have already like we're already holding this pandemic has done a number on us. And
1: I'm
3: like, we need to come together and purge. We need a retreat for something like seriously, like we like through these through these conversations, there's healing. And I'm just like, how can we all get together and do some like release because it's a lot it's a whole lot and I'm like I can't do it by myself and I'm beginning to feel more and more like yo it feels too heavy to do by myself it feels too heavy to even be alone trying to heal myself by myself I know it's possible I know I can do all my little meditation stuff but it's like I need some people around I need some I need some community so I feel like that's a part of maybe that's why I have a pan because I'm about to be feeding other people too um so it's just like I'm like walking away like yo I need this is the village is so important right now. So that's that's my takeout pan. Um <laughs> I love it. And John, you can close us out with like what we typically do. Thank you, thank you all so much. Thank you. Man, thank, thank
1: you all so much. Yes, There's God. so
0: much
2: love on this call, so much vibration. Woo. Oh,
0: oh, this Erica is
2: Badu is a doula, by the way.
4: So
0: like <laughs> I do with some fat belly. Dance, come on.
4: <laughs> yes, she is. Listen, yeah, so <laughs>
0: Yo, thank y'all. Man, just again, I'm full. Um, I really believe, uh, that all minds and hearts are clear. Um, I could, I could feel the clarity. I could feel the sincerity. Um, and, and, and I feel that we are at war, but I feel that we also have been well equipped, Mm. equipped well-informed, we've been given the tools, we've been given the weapons to continue this fight, to continue this struggle. And so for those who want to continue to be informed and continue to be educated by what it is that you queens bring and the work that you all are doing, um, just tell the people where they can find you, Um, any information that you want to provide, anything that you got going on, um, let us know. Ayana. I know you're building an empire, a birth (laughs) and revolution empire. I know it's in the works right now. I know you're building it, but let us in on that groundwork. Let us in on that foundation. So anything you want to tell us, um, same thing with you, Dr. Poetry. So go ahead and do that before we close out.
4: Sure. Uh, so, for every, anyone who wants to find me, I'm on Instagram mainly um, at The Vagina Chronicles. I also have a website um, which I um, send out a monthly newsletter to people who are subscribed. So that's mm-hmm. www.thevaginachronicles.org. I'm not .com. Um, hey, it was, vessel, don't play, huh? Who it you was
0: playing crazy.
1: with? Right, hey, I love how she did old.
0: like this. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't we have, we black women, we got the right. Quit playing with me. Stop
4: uh, You gotta,
2: gotta lean into that, it.
4: That's where <laughs> things are right now. Um, I just, we completed a postpartum prep group specific for black pregnant moms. Um, My friend uh, and myself, uh, Kenina Bourne, she's of. um, Reborn Wellness, she's a uh, licensed clinical therapist. Um, And we just did a postpartum prep group that was like pivotal. And so knowing that they're equipped for this is like just so heartwarming. And even if their plans don't go as planned, like they have they have the resources to manage that so um, we'll probably be doing another group sometime later in the year so pe- if people want to follow that'll be on our web page or my web page mm-hmm. um, another thing is i was recently featured in osis oh, you're pregnant by dr Shanice, oh not doctor but chenecia boswell uh, hey. um black mom's hey. blog she um is the founder of that and so, chapter 21, I talk about postpartum depression. Come on, chapter. <laughs> <laughs> my dog,
0: that's my Check dog. Out there.
4: And then, another thing that I'm celebrating and learning how to celebrate, I was recently fe- featured in Essence Magazine. <sighs> Ooh, yeah. and, um, there are nine Black uh, midwives and doulas, you should know. And, uh, oh. And Had no clue what was happening. So, I am like, celebrating, letting people know yes. there are so many Black midwives. Cheers so many to black you, midwives. Queen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I so hold up my lemon, lemon water. water. <laughs> <laughs> so many Black midwives, so many Black doulas that are out there doing work <laughs> and creating funds and places for Black people to have safe birth. Mm. Uh, so I know that I, I, you know, I, was, I was honored and grateful to be featured in that number, but there are people who are doing incredibly more heavy and you know more intense work than i am so we're all out here trying to make a difference yes. um, once that birth center info information is up and running it will be on the website and y'all y'all will have the info of where to go so we're working on it so y'all send your good vibes and your prayers because oh you need to have some soon so
0: yes <laughs> yes i love it i love it wow listen
2: when midwives speak i just love it. i get tears <laughs> in my eyes so you do that queen we are holding you down and lifting you up Thank so, you. oh, thank you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Poetry the Scholar.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, uh, I'm the owner also of Dr. Poetry Speaks LLC. Um, and website forthcoming, uh, Shamika Poetry Thomas, aka Dr. Poetry. So you can Google that up. I'm also on LinkedIn, Instagram, Shamika Poetry Queen. Um, so yes, um, my, one of my poems um, that is dedicated to Black women in, the, sh- in the, the struggle, but also the resilience of Black women um, is featured in Wembley Magazine, forthcoming in the next couple of days, just with the print. Yeah. So it is a centered feature of the magazine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, just stay tuned for that. We'll be in print also online. So simultaneously with my science career, um, I combined that with my writing career Um, And all of this is to help women to be in power of their bodies and their births. Um, Women who are given birth biologically and spiritually because we know birth um, happens in many realms, in many forms, whether you are birthing a body or birthing a vision. Um, So uh, the, the poetry book that is being written right now and being sent to the press forthcoming is going to speak about meditations and mantras and affirmations for women, period, goddesses. So um thank you so much. It's been so lovely to be on this segment. Um, um I can't promise you that I'm always on social media. Honestly, I am really an introvert. <laughs> I run away from the spotlight. I'm always kind of just tucked away. I try not to be an influencer. I'm mostly like someone who's in the background with a chakra bowl and a yoga mat. <laughs> um, but I try my best to shine light on my followers when I can come up, come from the, the
3: shadows. So, um, but yes. That's it. Well, thank Hello. you for coming out of the shadows for us today. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be remiss if we didn't mention, John, the connection between all the poet connection across the board. Oh, yeah,
0: <laughs> for sure. Come on. All these poets and artists <laughs> and networkers and creatives and everything so yeah just thank y'all so much we're gonna go ahead and close out everybody good all hearts and minds clear yes I love
2: it. Right.
3: Pass the collection plate.
0: Pass the yeah. collection plate. In another episode, y'all, we are this
3: for the well, I also just want to shout out the okay. power of poetry and how it brought uh, me, John, and Ayan together back in our undergrad years when we were- I love it. When we were little teenagers um, yeah. and we didn't know how to express ourselves in poetry. <laughs> little I, angry teenager. <laughs> <laughs> angry is a tool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm just poetry is is a powerful thing and then now we have Dr. Poetry here too so it's just all awesome, I'm sure Jackie could put a get a poem out if she if you really wanted I to. I mean I enjoy listening to poetry. <laughs> I enjoy reading poetry <laughs> so
1: you know I'm right here with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can have a poetry
0: segment one day just
1: hey. doing some poems. That. that would be nice. Let me know. I love it,
0: y'all. It's been another episode Street Academy Podcast where we keep one foot in the academy and one foot in the street's eats. <laughs> out. He's up. A town now. <laughs> DC,
1: Chocolate
2: <laughs> City, baby. Chocolate <laughs> City out
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Man. Oh. you know got their feet apart. The neck of the haters, the game in
1: the devil, like.